The following podcast contains advertising. To access an ad-free version of the Lawfare podcast, become a material supporter of Lawfare at patreon.com lawfare. That's patreon.com lawfare. Also, check out Lawfare's other podcast offerings, Rational Security, Chatter, Lawfare No Bull, and The Aftermath. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm John Emmons, Internal Lawfare, with an episode from the Lawfare Archive for January 28, 2023. For today's archive episode, in light of the recent recovery of allegedly improperly stored classified materials at the homes and offices of President Joe Biden and former Vice President Mike Pence, I chose an episode from August 2019. In the episode, Benjamin Wittes sat down with Bradley Moss, an attorney who represents clients in security clearance revocation processes, to discuss the Trump administration's announcement at the time that John Brennan, former CIA director and outspoken critic of then-President Trump, would be stripped of his security clearance. Wittes and Moss discuss the unprecedented nature of Trump's move and the broader legal picture at hand in security clearance cases. I'm Benjamin Wittes, and this is the Lawfare Podcast, August 18th, 2018. The President of the United States this week stripped the former CIA Director John Brennan of his security clearance in a dramatic White House statement by the Press Secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. The White House is threatening more adverse security clearance actions against presidential critics, and former senior security officials are outraged. I sat down Friday afternoon with Bradley Moss, who represents people in security clearance revocation processes, to discuss the president's move, how different it is, and what we can expect if a lawsuit develops. It's the Lawfare Podcast, episode 339, Brad Moss on presidential power and security clearances. Brad, start us out by telling us what kind of law practice you have and how it interacts with uh, the news this week. Sure. So our firm, uh, it's the law office of Mark S. Zaid, PC. We commonly represent uh, individuals across the U.S. government, whether military officials, civilian employees, or contractors in any number of personnel or security clearance actions. Uh, And the security clearance side is, of course, relevant to what's been going on this week with the president's recent actions to revoke the security clearance of former CIA director John Brennan. When that kind of action is normally taken against any number of types of individuals through the standard process, we're one of about 15 lawyers in the area 
who get the call to uh, represent these individuals. We're uh, hired by the individual themselves, so they're paying us out of pocket of their own money. It's not covered by the government. It's not covered generally by the private companies involved. They're paying us themselves, and we handle uh, their representation. How common are these cases? Leave aside, we'll get to the question of when the president gets involved personally, but how common is the situation where you guys get a call from somebody who is facing a personnel action over a security clearance? Very common. Uh, Thinking about it, you know, across the United States government in total, there's over something approaching 4 million people who have security clearances, and that doesn't account for all of those who have been denied security clearances. So we, on a weekly basis, get a call or an email from someone, they're going through a security clearance denial or revocation at the moment, they work at an agency already and their clearance is being pulled, or they applied to work at, say, CIA, and they've been told that their clearance is being denied. And that's where we get pulled in. We outline the nature of the process for them. We explain what the costs will be. It certainly doesn't come cheaply. Uh, Lawyers cost a lot of money. Um, We explain the realities of the appeals process, and then they determine if they want to proceed forward. And how common is it in your experience that the the source of the personnel action or the source of the adverse action with respect to a security clearance is the president of the United States? To my knowledge, never in the history of the modern security clearance system has any president ever intervened in any way with respect to granting, denying, or revoking someone's security clearance. This is, as far as I know, a first-of-its-kind type of moment. No one has ever done this before because past presidents, whatever their flaws, whatever their views on the law, on their inherent constitutional authority, past presidents understood this was a line you don't cross. So we'll get to that line, what that line is in, uh, in a moment. But I just want to, so you don't know of any like famous incident where Warren Harding or, you know, Calvin Coolidge decided that a former official uh, who was criticizing him uh, was making erratic statements and behaving inappropriately and therefore should have his security clearance revoked. No, I'm not aware of any such historical example. And it should be noted that the modern concept of what we know as a security clearance and the appeals procedures that typically surround it, that didn't come about until the 1950s with the first executive order on the subject issued by President Eisenhower. He created the initial process and uh, circumstances surrounding how someone would be granted or denied a security clearance. Prior to that, there had been no overarching system for it. Um, And so the modern clearance process has evolved over the last 60-something years since that point. It's pretty much embedded in DNA of all the agencies who uh, issue security clearances to their employees and contractors. And by and large, it's a fairly well understood and under complied with process. What we've seen here is something unusual. All right. So let's talk about the process as it normally takes place. Under normal circumstances, John Brennan, what are the circumstances in which who might think about revoking the security clearance of a former senior official. How, sure. how would so, this under, in the normal course of business, 
come about and what are the sort of things that could cause that actor, whoever it is, to contemplate it? Sure. So for 99.5% of all clearance denials and revocations, the way it works is the agency that uh, held the individual security clearance. So in the context of John Brennan, it would be CIA. Uh, the relevant security officials will issue what is commonly known as a letter of intent or a notice of determination. The terminology changes from agency to agency, but they'll issue written correspondence to the individual informing them that a decision has been made by security to revoke the individual's security clearance. Uh, the documentation will outline the basis or bases for that revocation and it will outline appeals procedures. As set forth in Executive Order 12968, uh, which is the most current document uh, on the subject, it was issued by President Clinton. It has been amended and updated by uh, President Bush, but no substantive changes have ultimately been made to the process. What the order requires is that the agency afford the individual two levels of appeal access to the underlying investigative file in which the uh, various findings, various concerns were outlined, uh, as well as at one point in the process, whether at the first level or the second level, the opportunity to appear in person to plead their case. And a lot, for the most part, clearance cases are generally about mitigation. Usually in most cases, there isn't an issue of refuting the accuracy. Usually it's, yes, this happened, but uh, it's always about clarifying details, providing context, and mitigating the nature of the disqualifying concern identified by the agency. All right. So let's pick that. That's a really good summary of what the normal process looks like. Let's talk about the process here, which is that the president's press secretary announced at a press availability that the president himself had made this determination and gave a series of reasons. Sure. Um, so let's pick that apart against the uh, process that you described. To what extent is that and isn't it uh, consistent with the normal process? So it's completely in conflict with the normal process. Uh, certainly, it doesn't appear that there was any written documentation issued to Mr. Brennan. No, no opportunity to address the issues was provided. It's not even clear to what extent the concerns outlined by uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders would fall within the scope of what we would typically see in a clearance revocation process. So normally, uh, someone's clearance is being denied or revoked. It's because they've engaged in conduct or there's uh, surrounding circumstances that implicate one of 13 different adjudicative guidelines that are relied upon by the executive branch. These cover things like drug and alcohol issues, financial problems, foreign influence, psychological issues that haven't been properly addressed, criminal conduct, uh, any number of things along those lines. Um, that they would normally be the type of issue to be raised. But what was outlined by the press secretary and what appears to be from the president's subsequent comments to the Wall Street Journal, what appears to be his issue is he doesn't like that John Brennan goes on TV, makes critical comments of the president, uses hyperbolic verbiage and inflammatory language, uh, and seems to be riding on the prestige of his former office to make money as a media contributor. 
There's no indication, as far as I'm aware, that that type of allegation has ever shown up anywhere in any documentation to revoke anyone's clearance in the past. I've never seen it. Uh, I've consulted with colleagues of mine. They've never seen it. They've been doing it longer than me. Um, it's not what you would typically expect to see in that type of documentation outlining a basis to revoke someone's clearance. And I think that's why it had to be done by the president himself using his own inherent Article II authority under the Constitution, because I can't envision anyone in the security office of CIA putting their name on that kind of document. Uh, and I can't imagine the CIA director uh, Gina Haspel invoking her authority. There's a uh, an exception to the normal rules in the executive order 12968 that allows the head of the agency to revoke someone's clearance if uh, providing the appeals procedures would itself be inconsistent with the national security interest. But they have to do that in writing. I don't see Gina Haspel putting her name on such a document. And so that's why the president has to do this himself, because if it goes through the normal process, those individuals would not be willing to put their names on such a document and to outline this types of flimsy uh, basis for a revocation. So it actually sounds like you're telling me there's sort of two separate uh, irregularities here. One is a process irregularity that this is not the way these things normally happen. But the second is it's a substantive irregularity. This is not a normal basis to seek to revoke someone's clearance. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, I've never seen it based purely on First Amendment protected political commentary, no matter how hyperbolic, no matter how much it insults the president. Uh, it's always, I mean, if, if there was an allegation that John Brennan had been going on CNN, for example, and disclosing classified information, that would be a basis to revoke his clearance. If there were indications there had been a medical or a psychological assessment conducted of John Brennan and it found that he had an undiagnosed psychological condition that had uh, not been properly treated and it was causing him to make inflammatory remarks. That could be a basis. But simply because John Brennan at some point was involved in part of the Russia probe being launched, initiated, and because he makes inflammatory remarks about the president is not something you ever see in a normal standard security clearance revocation paperwork. And that, of course, raises the question, can Trump do that, right? There's a, on the one hand, you have the basically classified information is information the president wants to protect for national security reasons. And people who were cleared are, with appropriate delegation of authority, people who the president wants to share it with. So uh, on that basis, I think you can probably say, well, the president has inherent authority to revoke anybody's clearance. He doesn't want to share classified material with anymore. On the other hand, I look at this and I have a hard time seeing it as anything other than a retaliation for First Amendment protected speech. It's an adverse government action. It's an action by the president to punish speech. Uh, that rubs going to rub a lot of people the wrong way. So give me and, and there's a whole lot of procedural and substantive irregularities associated with it. So what's your kind of top line? Is this a unreasonable but constitutionally delegated presidential authority uh, that he has the power to do? Or is this 
a litigation waiting to happen that the president may well uh, find that he's on the losing side of? The honest answer to that is no one truly knows for sure because no one has ever had the opportunity to bring this type of issue before a court. There is, of course, uh, standing Supreme Court precedent on the issue of security clearances. That's Department of Navy versus Egan, which came out about 30 something years ago now, in which the court said they didn't have the statutory jurisdiction to review the substantive merits of a clearance uh, revocation. That was an individual, a guy named Egan, who worked for the Navy and who had been afforded the normal due process protections, had gone through it. He had lost at the administrative stage and tried to bring it before the courts. So that obviously was a circumstance in which the court said, we're not going to look at the substance. But in later years, the courts have been willing to at least consider the and contemplate the idea of prying into the issue when there's a problem of process. We've never had, though, any circumstance that truly gave us this, you know, parade of terribles, everything coming together perfectly type of moment to bring litigation because no one ever really ever assumed any president would take this type of step. So there's never been a circumstance in which the courts have been able to address it and resolve it to the extent they even believe they can. Uh, There's certainly, you know, if John Brennan were to bring a lawsuit claiming a deprivation of his Fifth Amendment due process protections just to be afforded due process, it's unclear to what extent the court would decide it has jurisdiction to review it. It's unclear to what extent the court would conclude this is a political question that it should not be getting involved in. But even if they got past all that and went to the merits, it would become a clash between the president's unquestioned Article II authority to control access to classified information against John Brennan's Fifth Amendment due process rights. And how the court would view that, you know, if if I'm in Vegas and I've got a gun to my head and I have to make a bet, my money's gonna be on the president and his Article II authority because it almost always wins out. But I couldn't say here for certain that it would. I can't determine, and I don't think anybody with any real credibility can definitively state one way or the other, how the court would ultimately view this because there's never been a similar situation. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And we have no sense of whether Brennan has any intention of bringing such an action, correct? Correct. And I don't, I personally don't think he will, if only because John Brennan at this point in his career doesn't need his security clearance. The only reason he even still had one was so that subsequent administrations could bring him back in to consult with him if they needed to get some context or some input on a particular area he had expertise in from his time at the agency or time working at the White House during the Obama days. But beyond that, he can now at this point write books, give paid speeches and go on TV as a paid contributor. He doesn't require a security clearance anymore. 
What might be more interesting, and the president made some kind of off-the-cuff remarks about this today before he left for uh, New Jersey, was that he's looking at revoking security clearance of a more mid-level official, Bruce Orr, who was at the Justice Department. Mr. Orr, if his clearance is simply unilaterally revoked by the president without any due process, would be someone who would not be in a position to simply move on without ever having a security clearance again in his career and would more likely than Mr. Brennan be someone who would contemplate a challenge to that on the basis of the Fifth Amendment due process protections. You're focused on the Fifth Amendment due process side of it, but I'm very interested in the First Amendment aspects of it, which are that, you know, the president all but said to the Wall Street Journal that he did this because Brennan was part of a witch hunt, you know, part of the uh, the Russia stuff. And, you know, he needs to deal with that. Uh, I forget the exact words, but he, you know, he very clearly, you know, to the extent that Sarah Huckabee Sanders' statement was an attempt to give conduct and not speech-based bases for what they did to Brennan. Uh, the president kind of ripped the rug out from under her, as he tends to do to his staff. You know, First Amendment law kind of lets you get in, not merely on the basis of a of an action, adverse action actually taken against you, but also of actions that might chill speech, right? It's, it's standing can be very forgiving to the extent that you're similarly situated to somebody who, you know, has threatened action might chill speech. And so I'm wondering, leaving aside Bruce Orr, among the long list of people that the president's has floated as people that he wants, whose security clearance he wants to strip, why don't all of them have an argument that this action against Brennan and threatened actions against them are First Amendment deprivations that, that potentially violate uh, their free speech rights by chilling their potential speech? Sure. It's a good question. So the problem is twofold. One, to do anything on lines of the First Amendment with respect to the clearance issue would ultimately require the court to delve into the substance of the decision as opposed to the process of it. Um, and the courts have been explicitly clear that even when it comes to First Amendment issues, they will not touch upon them in the context of a clearance revocation. Uh, the Fourth Circuit considered it just a few years ago. A colleague of mine tried to bring that case, someone who had uh, had their clearance revoked by the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, and it appeared that the allegations themselves, particularly when reviewing the investigative file, were all about protected a First Amendment speech that was at issue and that had raised concerns. And after you know the administrative process failed and the client had lost, my colleague brought that forth uh, first in the Eastern District of Virginia and then in the, before the Fourth Circuit, and the court said, no, we are not going to get into the substance of why a clearance was revoked, no matter how much of a deprivation of the First Amendment it might be, it's beyond our jurisdiction unless, consistent with the Egan precedent, Congress chooses to create that jurisdiction for us to review the merits. But even if that wasn't a problem, even if you could find a way to get past So, so wait that, a minute. L l l let me just, before you give the argument in the alternative, let me just clarify that. If Donald Trump had stood up in the White House and said, 
I am revoking John Brennan's security clearance because he criticized me, and I'm doing it in an effort to deter other people from political criticism of me because I don't believe that current or former officials should ever be allowed to criticize me. A court, you think, would treat that as a political question? The court would, at least based on the past precedent, would say we don't have the not not as a political question we don't have the jurisdiction to review that because it delves into the substance of why the clearance revocation took place and the substance of clearance denials and revocations is not within the jurisdiction of the courts to evaluate ultimately it all comes back to Egan the problem with Egan was they were what the Supreme Court was citing to was they said the Civil Service Reform Act, which affords federal employees the right to appeal certain types of personnel actions, uh, the Civil Service Reform Act explicitly excludes security clearance actions. And the court said, therefore, Congress has not given us the jurisdiction to look into this. And until such time as it does, we will not review the substance of a security clearance revocation. So it doesn't matter how brazen the president would make it in that context. He could explicitly say it was meant to chill free speech. The court would say that might be true, but we still don't have jurisdiction. Fascinating. I, I got to say, that's kind of a wow to me. I, I would not have expected that to be the answer to that question. So, uh, so but you were going to give an alternative theory uh, before I interjected yeah. that. Yes. Yeah, so even if even if the president, so let's, let's assume you're hypothetical. And so even if the president had gotten up there, made that comment, and the court decided they had jurisdiction, the problem that John Brennan or any of the others would face from a First Amendment case law standpoint is demonstrating how their free speech had actually been chilled. Uh, nothing has changed in terms of John Brennan's ability to go on TV and talk ad nauseum as much as he so chooses uh, about the president. His ability to disclose classified information hasn't changed either. His obligation to protect it remains the same no matter what happens with his security clearance. His NDA to, and his obligation to safeguard it remains in place for the rest of his life. He has no First Amendment right to disclose classified information. So even if this was a brazenly obvious political assault by the president on John Brennan, from a First Amendment standpoint, his speech has not in fact actually been chilled, nor could it be chilled by this action. Okay, so... How much does this actually matter? John Brennan is going to be fine. If the next president wants to make John Brennan CIA director again, he or she can snap his or her fingers and restore John Brennan's security clearance just as easily as Donald Trump can revoke it. Uh, so what is the actual significance? I mean, people are are upset about it. People you know, have said all kinds of things, uh, most most famously uh, Admiral McRaven. But what is, from your point of view, as somebody who works on security clearance cases, what's the actual significance of the president behaving this way, other than that it's really weird and different? Sure. Well, part it's basically the principle of the matter and the institutional custom, just one more, that he's trampled here and replaced with a bit of politicization 
that the process is supposed to be exempt from. So look, the security clearance appeals process is by no means great. I could give you a three-hour explanation on all the problems that exist in different parts and different agencies with the existing appeals process. It's purely administrative. Different agencies have different procedures on how to handle personal appearances. Uh, the issues with getting investigative files and having classified redactions can be a problem. There's any number of flaws and deficiencies with the existing process, but at least it afforded people a process. They could have their day in, quote unquote, court, for lack of a better phrase. They could explain their situation. They could explain things to the individuals making the decision, and they could at least have that catharsis at a minimum. The problem with proceeding along the lines of what the president has done here is that it takes this impartial and objective assessment that's supposed to be done largely by civil servants and turned it into a political tool for the president to reward or punish people who would either be favorable to him or who are dissenting from him. And it's a, it's a concern given that these types of national security determinations are supposed to be above party and it's supposed to be not about the particular president in charge or the particular party running the country at the time, but the country itself and the national security interests of the country. There's certainly plenty of people in the current government who are favorable to the president and there's plenty of them who hold security clearances as well who absolutely despise the president, but they continue to do their job on the basis that it is the country that is more important than their personal political views. And that goes for every administration. There were certainly people there uh, in the US government during the Obama days who despised President Obama, but they continue to do their work, including utilizing access to classified information for the interest of the country. But what the president is doing is turning the clearance process into his own little Tammany Hall for lack of a better term, and making it into a patronage scheme, which is what it's specifically not supposed to be. So in that sense, you sound a lot like the way people talk about the pardon power and Trump's use of the pardon power. Does that analogy seem apt to you? Yes. It's just the newest political toy that the president has discovered he can use that is largely, if not entirely, above scrutiny. No one can really question it by and large. And it's something he can use to stoke his base. You know, he pardoned people like Dinesh D'Souza and Scooter Libby for questionable reasons without any input from the office of the pardon attorney, which is, again, the normal process by which this would all go through. And so he can stoke his base on that, and then he can use it to dole out favors. Kim Kardashian goes into the White House, asks for a pardon for someone who quite possibly legitimately deserved it, um, and the president accommodated. But this is, again, a patronage scheme now. It's not based on the assessment from the office of pardon attorney and from input from various different agencies. It's whatever celebrity happened to show up today trot into the Oval Office and say, hey, I want to pardon for this person, or I want you to commute this person's sentence. And again, can the president do it? Almost certainly. But it's an institutional custom that we understood to be a line you don't cross, that he is simply obliterated and said, I don't care about how the rules are supposed to work. Brad Moss, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Anytime, guys. I just have a feeling you're going to have some clients with this problem in the coming months. Hey, MAGA stands for Make Attorneys Great Again. The Lawfare Podcast is produced this week as every week in conjunction with the Brookings Institution. 
Folks, I know I've been bugging you about this, but we want to get our ratings and reviews as high as we can on Apple Podcasts because that's the way we introduce the Lawfare Podcast to more people. We don't do advertising. We don't do promotion. We only have you. So rate us and share us on Facebook, Twitter, and whatever social media you use. Our audio engineer this week is Michaela Fogel. The Lawfare Podcast is edited by the great Jen Patya Howell. Our music is performed by Sophia Yan. And of course, thanks for listening. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.